0: and this is 1 John uh, chapter 1 starting in verse 1 and this is God's word to you because he's given you eternal life that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father And was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your perfect word that you are not a God who is, has totally hidden himself from us, but you have revealed yourself to us. And in your word and in your son, your word incarnate, we ask that you would give us hearts to hear the things that you have to say to us and that your message, your word, would draw us to you, that we would uh, behold you and that we could see that you are near, that we could sense your comfort in your life, and your words, with us and in us. So um, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would take your holy word and you would speak through me, a sinner. For, Lord, you know my sins are many. And I pray that you would forgive them and that you would speak through me to your people. And apply your word of truth to each one of their hearts and their lives, that you would draw each one of us close to you today, we ask in Jesus' name. So uh, we are beginning this series on First John. First John is, it's called a letter, but uh, you know, some commentators say it doesn't start with a greeting, like this is from John to this church. It's, it just kind of gets right into it. And uh, so some have said this is actually kind of a little sermon that was written out that in a church like this they would read aloud. And um, if you've been with our church for a while, uh, in the summers we look at, at New Testament letters, the first... Summer of our church, 2009, we, uh, we studied the book of, Galosh, uh, of Colossians, which was written by Paul. Last two summers, we've looked at First Peter. This summer, we're looking at First John. And uh, one of the things that's interesting about the Bible is that the Bible is God's infallible, perfect word to us. And yet, it was written by 40 different people in different cultures, uh, different languages, different uh, millennia, and uh, and and it doesn't leave out their different personalities, their different life stories, their different experiences of God. God speaks through all of those things to say the same thing to us about the gospel and about who Jesus is. And so uh, here now uh, we've looked at Paul, we've looked at Peter, and now we're going to look at, uh, at at John. And John, the author of this letter, uh, was one of Jesus, not only one of Jesus' twelve apostles. But I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jesus called twelve disciples to him that spent, you know, had that he taught very intensely, and uh, they had a lot of access to him. But within the twelve apostles, there were three that he gave special attention to. They were Jesus' dearest, closest friends. And there are a number of scenes in the gospels where only these three saw these certain important stages in Jesus' ministry. John was one of those. And uh, if you know the Gospel of John, uh, that. John wrote. It's it's his account of what was intimate life with Jesus like. What did he see? What did he behold? What? And, and at the end of John, he says, I've written all these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you might have eternal life. That's why he wrote that book. And I think uh, for many of us here, if, uh, if you're Christian, you say, well, that's what I believe. I believe in Jesus. I've embraced him. I, I, I believe I have eternal life in him and, and uh, the gift of life that Jesus has given to me. But what I don't have, I don't feel like I have often, is that closeness, that intimacy that John had with Jesus. I mean, he walked with him, he lived with him for three years, uh, uh, seeing what he did, heard words from his mouth, listened to him, sat with him, ate with him. I don't have that kind of closeness. How could I? How could I have that kind of closeness? And, um, is it possible for us to have intimate, deep communion, relationship with Jesus now? And you know, it's uh, here we are at the beginning of John's letter, uh, and he describes how his life was with Jesus. He says, "These are things I saw. These are things that I heard. That I touched. It's very sensory uh, oriented." And then he says this amazing statement in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. He says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What he seems to be saying is that that closeness, that palpable, real experience of Jesus that he had had, and that he had throughout his life, even though Jesus was gone, we can have that too. We can experience God. And then in fact, um, knowing God, having that relationship, uh, feeling him close, being in his presence is actually the essence of what eternal life is. It is to know God. Actually, that's what it says in the end of John's gospel is that this is eternal life, is to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's to know God. And uh, there's no greater purpose. Uh, there's, uh, there's no greater joy And I think that if you're a Christian, if if you put your faith in Jesus, you've had glimpses of that in your life. There have been times where you have sensed that God is near to you, that God is speaking to you personally and directly, that he's he's actually comforting you. He's giving you joy. uh, He's listening to you. And in those moments, I think as Christians, those are the times when we felt most alive like our life has meaning, like uh, there's hope for our lives, there's purpose. We feel assured of God's love. And so even though, you know, the gospel that John wrote was written for people so that they would believe, uh, this letter that we're going to be looking into is actually written more for people who've already believed and who uh, their intimacy with God, their sense that they're close with God is being threatened. They're losing that. And this is what he says at the end, uh, at the very end of the letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know God's promises. I want you to know God's uh, uh, presence in your life. I want you to know that he loves you and that you have a relationship with him, that he's listening to you. I want to give you assurance. And so that's the purpose of this letter. And so what we're going to do this morning is um, kind of both as an introduction to First John, but actually, I was talking with Trev this week. You know, Trev and I always talk about the sermon so that he can prepare the liturgy that we go through. And, and he, he always asked me, What's the sermon about? And I told him, Well, the title is An Introduction to First John. And I, he didn't say this, but I could hear him thinking, Boring. Uh, it sounds like a seminary uh, class, not a sermon. Uh, so he's like, "What's the point, though? What does it have to do with my life?" Introduction to First John. What is that? That doesn't have anything to do with my life. So, through a series of uh, tries, I finally sent him the title "Intimacy with God," and he said, "Now that's a sermon." <laughs> so uh, hopefully, uh, I can, I can, we can live up to what what, uh, what he's hoping for from a sermon. And uh, and so we're going to talk about intimacy with God primarily under two headings. First of all. The man who invites us to intimacy. So first, we're going to look at the man, and I mean John in that. Uh, Here's a man who has had intimacy with God. How does he describe it? What does it mean for him? And so we're going to look at his life, the one who's inviting us into intimacy. But then second, we're going to look at the message that creates intimacy. There's a message that God sends to us, and it is through that message that we find that God is close, that we can draw near to God. And so we're going to look at the man who invites us to intimacy and the message that creates intimacy. So first, the man who invites us to intimacy. I think there's two things that we see about the Apostle John who invites us to intimacy with God. And the first is this, is that he had experienced Jesus. He had experienced him. And look at that again there in verse 1. He couldn't emphasize this more. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about things he heard. You know, uh, John heard, uh, saw Jesus. He saw Jesus uh, turn water into wine. He saw Jesus feed the five thousands. He saw Jesus when the woman at the well, you know that story in, in, in uh, John 4, the woman who'd had five husbands and had been rejected by her community, he saw Jesus go and befriend her and talk to her and give her the promises of eternal life and say, come and drink from me and you'll have life. I will give you life that will cause, uh, water that will cause you to thirst no more. He saw that. He heard Jesus you know, give the Sermon on the Mount you know, heard the inflection in his voice, saw the expressions on his face, saw his love as he spoke these things, and and he, you know, he even touched. That's what he says. I touched Jesus. You know, there's this great scene, at, uh, in John's account of uh, the Last Supper, when Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, it says that uh, John was uh, lying down and he was kind of reclining on Jesus. He was kind of leaning his head on Jesus. Bosom is, what, is literally what it says. He was close to him. And you remember last week we were looking at the resurrection account. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, touch me and see. You know, does a spirit have flesh and blood? Touch my resurrected body. He touched him. He was close to him. It was a sensory experience of Jesus. And um, and uh, what he is saying is that he experienced Jesus in very palpable, real, uh, historic, uh, real life terms and, uh, and that he was with him and that he wants us to have an experience of being with Jesus as well, to be in his presence. And, um, you know, it's interesting in First in John, one of the things that we'll see as we go along is that this is ri- written to a, a group of churches in Ephesus. John w- was one of the elders of the early church who oversaw the church in the city of Ephesus. There were a number of churches, and in some of the churches, there were a number of false teachers who were teaching all kinds of things like that Jesus was not the Christ come in the flesh, uh, and all different kinds of forms of that. And, and because they had, they had these kind of elevated um, knowledge of God, and they believe that there's kind of a JV and varsity Christians, you're either a JV or varsity, and, and in order to get to varsity, you have to have this kind of esoteric knowledge where you, you have this deep knowledge about God, and that's what makes you varsity. And so not only did they not believe that Jesus was Christ come in the flesh, but that caused them to not love people because they believed in having this superior knowledge. And so they kind of looked down on people because they had this superior knowledge. And, um, and uh, what's interesting is that 1 John, if, if you ever uh, take a class in, in uh, a seminary or if you ever take New Testament Greek, your first class in New Testament Greek will always be to translate 1 John because 1 John is this simple book. <laughs> The vocabulary is simple. A lot, of, a lot of commentators say it's very wooden, and it's very simple. You know, it has these simple statements. God is love. God is light. Perfect love casts out fear. And it's not this high esoteric knowledge. It's, uh, it's uh, very simple language. And he constantly refers to it. the people that he's talking to as my little children. <laughs> and he's very, they're very dear to him. And uh, the key to that is that what God is looking for from us is an, an intimacy and an experience of God that doesn't require a ton of knowledge. It requires a lot of simplicity. It re- requires a simple heart that comes and says, "I want to be with God. I want to behold Him." And you know, I'll tell you, you know, I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm a I seek. I'm a seeker after knowledge. I'm always. I got thirty books laying around in my car and in my the. My, by my bed, in my office, in the bathroom, all over the place. I'm always reading. And, uh, and you know, there, fortunately, a lot of times the, that reading brings me to God and bring me, brings me close to him to behold him. But I absolutely know that I can read all kinds of books, read about God, and know all kinds of things about the Bible and about theology. I can write sermons. I can write whole sermons preparing <laughs> to talk to you about God and never actually be in his presence, never actually experience him. And actually there's a challenging, you'll know this verse in 1 Corinthians where it says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries of all knowledge and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And what God wants from us ultimately, the point of all that knowledge, if we have any knowledge, is ultimately to lead us to be in his presence and to be with him and to love him. And actually when I was, you know, five years ago or so when I was getting ready to uh, go to seminary, we were living down in Bellevue and we rented a little house on a property from a really wonderful Christian older couple who lived in that house. And uh, I remember we had this little going away party. All our books were packed up. We were gonna move to seminary. I was gonna go to seminary and become a pastor and be a church planter. And I remember the guy who worked, uh, who we lived next to had a conversation with me and he's about 6'6". Six, six. He's this ba- great big gentleman. And, uh, you know, I think he wanted to make an impression on the young preacher before he went off to seminary. I was kind of caught off guard. I wasn't ready for this. But he said to him, you know, uh, the thing that makes a difference in any preacher that I've ever listened to is could I tell that this man had been with God? That was the thing that mattered, not all their knowledge. What What did they know? What Greek did they know? What books did they read? That didn't matter. The question was, is this a man who's been with God? And I'll tell you, those words have haunted me, and I can't, I can't say that I've lived up to his expectations. But certainly, that is what John wants for us, is he's had palpable, real experience of Jesus, and that the point of everything, the point of this Bible, uh, is for us to be brought into that experience of Christ. You know, the catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to enjoy him. So what does, what does that mean, experiencing Jesus. So here's a man who experienced Jesus. How does he describe what that looks like in our life? Well, the second thing we see about the man, this man here is that he was a partner with Jesus or a partner with God. And now you see that there in verse 3. I, I read this to you a minute ago, but it says that that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, with His Son Jesus Christ. Fellowship is how He describes His relationship with God. Now, the word fellowship, koinonia, is uh, is a word that comes from the Greek word koinos, which means common. They he had things in common. He had a shared life with God, and it's 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 very broad what that means. Very, you know, it's a, a shared purpose. You know, if you if you've ever read the book of Galatians, where Paul talks about how he was going to do his ministry to the Gentiles, and Peter was going to do his ministry to the Jews, and he, he said they gave me the right hand of fellowship, the right hand of koinonia, that uh, that we have a shared purpose. We're both you're going to the Jews, I'm going to the Gentiles, and uh, we're both going to preach the gospel. We have a shared purpose, or if you know in the Book of Acts where uh, the first church came together and these churches were forming, and everyone says, "Oh, I believe in uh, Jesus." Uh, we're coming together; they're eating together, and it said that they had all things in common. They had this life together. It was uh, that's the word koinos. They had a shared life, and what he's saying is that it, it's a partnership. John had a partnership. With God, his life was lived in partnership with God, and um, you know it's interesting. The Bible tells us that uh, uh, God is what there's one God, and yet that one God is a community. He's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's uh, a, a family, is what the one God is. And so that before God even made the world, before He made the universe, you know He wasn't just some, you know, singular. Being who's kind of all alone, there's I'm just a god, there's no universe. Who's alone, he's kind of an Eeyore walking around with no friends. That wasn't God before he created the universe, he was not Eeyore. He was a community, and it was the father, son, and uh, and and spirit who were in this dance of mutual love and uh, and joy, and listening, and serving, and caring. And there was this. energy and vibrancy to the community of God before he even made the universe. He didn't need us to have vibrancy and intimacy and partnership. God already had that. And then together, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they said, let's create a world. Let's create a universe with all these uh, people who are like us, and we'll bring them into our dance. We'll bring them into our fellowship, and we'll be together, and uh, and we'll be partners together. And so it was out of joy, it was out of partnership that God made us. And, you know, I've just recently, I've been, I was reflecting uh, on a little bit of my life, and I'd realized that, you know, throughout my life, I've had a tendency to identify a partner that is kind of a best friend or a closest person that I tended to do everything with in my life. And actually, for a lot of my early years, it was very unhealthy kind of attachment that I had to people. And, uh, but, you know, in the Lord's grace in later years, that's, uh, you know, with different friends, Shannon, Trevor have been... uh, some of those friends, Uh, it's become a healthy thing. But much of my life, I realize, has been defined by who am I doing this in partnership with? And I I know that's for some of you. You might say, you know, some of you maybe have had partners like that. Maybe you haven't, and you've longed for partners. I've longed for people that I'm uh, walking through life with, and that, uh, that kind of defines the shape of my life. And what's amazing here is that John says, I have fellowship. I have partnership with the Father and with the Son, God is my partner in life. I walk with him. And, um, and that's a question for us of who is our partner in life? Who do we share our purpose with? Who, do we, who shares resources with us and gives to us, is generous with us? And uh, certainly uh, God wants us to be that for each other. But is God your partner in life? As you walk through uh, the person that you talk through, the person whose hand is upon you, who walks with you, on a daily routine, is the kind of person you're interacting with and thinking through decisions with. That is what God is calling to us. That's what intimacy with God looks like: is a shared life. Now, um, how is it uh, possible for John to share that with us? You know, it was so real for him. He lived with Jesus. He slept in the same room with Jesus. Ate with Jesus. How can he share that with us? And it's interesting, in this passage, you see he's reiterating the way to intimacy for us. What is the path? How do we enter into that intimacy with God and sense God real and palpable and uh, experience him? And again and again, he says it's through a message. Okay, look look at this repetition of these words. In in verse 2, the life was made manifest, uh, manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. He testifies to it, his personal uh, testimony of what happened, uh, and proclaim to you the eternal life. He proclaims it. And then he says in verse 4, and we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. The, the partnership that he has with God, he wants to bring us into, and the way he does it, the way to that intimacy, is through the message. Okay? And that's, that's the second point we're going to be looking at this morning, is that it is the message of the word of life, the message that creates intimacy. It's the message that creates intimacy. And, um, you know, as you think about how can I feel God close to me? How can I feel like he's in his presence? That might be kind of a disappointing answer to you. It's through the message. Oh, it's through the gospel. Uh, isn't, isn't that the answer for everything? Uh, you know, that, that, I'm not sure I've tried that. That uh, <laughs> doesn't work. Give me a, a technique or something for getting close to God. Don't say it's through the message. But, you know, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm reading a book right now. I'm, I'm not sure I should recommend it, but it's called uh, Passionate Marriage. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's actually uh, written. It's the guy writing it is not, is not a Christian. He says a lot of really interesting things, though. And he's actually a sex therapist. And ta- the, the purpose of the book is showing a lot of the mirroring between the physical relationship in a marriage and the emotional marriage, uh, emotional aspect. Of a marriage, and how these things kind of mirror each other and inform one another, and it's, uh, he has a lot of fascinating observations. But uh, in one part in the book, he talks about how he'll be doing these conferences, and one of his op- you know questions that he'll begin a conference with is he'll ask the crowd you know uh, how, when you're in a restaurant and you see all the couples around the restaurant, how do you know which ones are married? And maybe you've heard this before. It's a pretty cynical answer, but they say, oh, the ones that aren't talking to each other, those are the ones that are married. <laughs> And how do you know the ones that are dating, uh, the ones that are talking to each other? And uh, and he said, you know, it's very. It, what happens is he has all these couples that will come in. They're married and they're getting counseling with him, and they say, you know, we just don't know how to communicate. We just don't talk to one another. And then he says, but he he goes back and he has them tell, has them tell him their story. And it turns out when they were dating, they were quite chatty and they talked and they. We're gushing about everything to one another. And that's what brought them together and how they got married. Now they're several years into their marriage, and they're just silent. And he says, uh, and people think that their problem is that I don't know how to communicate. And he says, you actually do. You know how to communicate very well, and that's the problem. You've been communicating very well. It's just the message. You don't want to hear anymore. The messages you've been sending to one another have... uh, Said, I don't don't want to hear what you're saying to me anymore because it's not what you wanted to hear. And that's why you stop talking. It's not because you don't know how to communicate. It's because of what's being communicated. And uh, let me just, as a side here, you know, in a marriage, the thing that creates intimacy is the communicating of the message, I will never leave you. Again and again, through different ways, not just saying it, through verbally, non-verbally saying to one another, I will never leave you. It's communicating that message is what draws you together. Your wedding vows, I will never leave you, and you saying that over and over to, to one another is what brings you close to one another. And the fact is that it's the same way with God. The main thing that creates intimacy is not a technique, but the message that is being sent that draws us to him. And I want to say a few things about that message. And the first thing is that the message is the gospel. The message that creates intimacy is the gospel. And uh, you see that, see that there in verse 1. He opens with this phrase, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. And now this, that little phrase has kind of a double meaning to it. Because if you've ever read John's gospel... The gospel begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and, uh, in the, or in the word was God, and the word was with God. And then it goes on to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and it's talking about how Jesus was with God before the creation of the world, and God made all things through Jesus. Jesus is the word in the beginning. But also, um, uh, throughout 1 John, the letter we're looking at, the thing that was in the beginning, is the thing that you first heard when you became a Christian. That initial message that you heard when you first became a Christian, he says, um, the gospel. And, you know, that has to do with creation, just as a, another aside here. But, uh, you know, when God created the world, that was the first creation. And when God drew us to himself, what does is, what is Paul say? You are a new creation. So God is, re, is doing a new creation. So when you became a Christian, when you heard the gospel, that was a new beginning. It was the beginning, and this is what, in, in chapter 2, this is what, in First John, this is what he says, this is very interesting. What you heard from the beginning, there it is again, what you heard from the beginning, uh, or let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. The way to intimacy is that message that you heard at the beginning, and, um, which is the gospel. And you know, it's very similar to a marriage. Is you don't move on from I will never leave you. And in the same way, as Christians, you never move on from I'm a sinner who needs the blood of Jesus to stand before God and I need his free grace to embrace me. It's that message which draws us close to him. That's what tells us that we can come come close to God. And you can see uh, um, one more verse for you here in verse 2. That the life was manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The message that we heard was that God is not someone that I have to attain to. God is not someone I have to hunt down. Someone that, not, that I have to, uh, to perform for in order for him to draw close to me I, um, or that I need to appease. Jesus has done all, all that for me. God has come to me. And this is the big difference between Christianity and any other kind of spirituality, is that Christianity is primarily about God coming and meeting us, instead of us going and trying to attain to God. It is him coming down to us in Jesus. It's him speaking to us, revealing himself to us, manifesting himself to us, not us going and hunting him down. And I'll tell you, this is terribly important, whether you're just becoming a Christian, and uh, you're thinking about becoming a Christian, uh, or whether you've been a Christian for decades. This never gets old. You never, you never will stop needing that message. I know for me there's countless times where, you know, I'm coming into a season of my life where I feel like I've been ignoring God and I, I'm distracted with other things and I, I'm, my life is becoming unsettled and I know, oh, you know, I need to get back in line with the Lord and connected with him. I need his comfort. I need his guidance. I need his wisdom, his love in my life. And, you know, I, I, at least this is how I visualize it. As I experience myself, it's like, okay, i got to turn around and turn back to God. And I imagine there's, you know, I've been on a path, and I went off the path. And now I've got I to do the road back. <laughs> and so I'm going to turn around, and what I'm going to see is I'm going to see the long road path, and I'm going to see God off in the distance. And, uh, and I've got to trek ahead before I'm going to have that closeness, that intimacy again. I tell you, without fail, without fail in my life, As soon as I turned around, God was not miles off down the road. He was a foot away. He was there. He had come chasing after me. And you don't just need that as a new Christian. You need that as a Christian your whole life. That if I'm going to turn to God, if I'm going to trust my heart to Him, He's going to be standing right there. That He's the one. He's pursuing you far more than you're pursuing Him. He's coming to find you more than you're finding Him. He's seeking you more than you're seeking Him. And He's not reluctant to come after you and you need the message of the gospel if you're going to be intimate with God, the path to intimacy is not a technique, it is a truth. It's the reality that God loves you, not because of your performance, but because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. That he's paid for your sin, and he's reconciled you to God. You have peace with God. What Trev said, there's no more condemnation. Okay? So first, the message of the gospel creates intimacy. The second thing that he says about the message is that the message is a person. The message of the gospel is a person. Now, uh, in verse 1 again, it's, uh, it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Now, what is that talking about? The word of life, what is that? Well, actually, if you read books on 1 John, people say different things. Some say, well, the word of life is the message of, of the gospel. It's, a, uh, it's the thing that he was proclaiming. And then other people say, well, no, you go read John, and the Word is Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word, uh, the Word was God, and was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No, the Word of life is Jesus, not the message. It's actually Jesus himself. Which is it? And the key is, is that the message is the person. What God, would what, Paul, what uh, John is proclaiming to us is that what we're being invited into is not a not a list of rules, uh, not a a trick for having a spiritual life, not uh, uh, techniques. He's inviting us to a person. And uh, I've there's a a, a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, which someone recommended to me recently, and uh, it's it's a study on Jesus' uh, training of his disciples. And one of the things the author observes about Jesus, if you read through the Gospels and how Jesus trained his disciples, is that, you know, he never had a kind of seminary class or, um, uh, you know, a systematic teaching of, of disciplines and doctrines that he brought them through. What he did was he just let them follow him. They lived with him. And say, how am I going to teach these people the truth? Well, the truth is a person. So you're going to come and you're going to live with me. You're going to follow me around, and it's very informal. You're going to see how I interact with people, and I, we're going to have some theological discussion along the way. And uh, but we're going to pray together. Uh, I'm going to send you out on little missions. It's an interaction with a person. That's what the message. That's what's being offered to us. And that the truth of the world, the thing that's tying everything together, is not a math formula. It's not a, you know a secret little proverb. You know, actually in science, there's this big quest for a, a total theory. I don't know if. Any any of you know what that is, but you know there's this hope to find one math equation that ties together all the deep reality of the universe. Well, you're not going to find it. (laughs) The deep reality of the universe is not a math equation. It's a person. It's Jesus, and that gives us a radical different uh, gives us a radical different meaning of what entering into a spiritual life is. What are we going to find? Is a message that leads us uh, to a person. that he loves, he speaks, he acts, he wills, he judges, he knows, he is known. And um, what that means is, you know, for most of us, that kind of makes sense. That what we're going to find in our spiritual life is a person. Because where, when do you feel most alive in your life? One of the times where you feel like life makes sense, life's working. Isn't it when you found people that you're close to, and that you're uh, that you're with, and you're interacting with, you're opening your heart to, you're sharing your life with, that's when we most feel alive? Whether it's in our families, whether it's in our church, or in friendships, uh, whether it's in a marriage, or with our children, um, that's that's what gives life meaning. And so we'd expect that what we'd find uh, in the message is a person, but also what we find is that the message is about life, and. Uh, Verse 2, again, I know I'm rereading these verses over and over, uh, but it says, um, The life was manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And uh, what John says, one of John's big messages, is that the kind of life that really makes you human The kind of life that can't be taken away from you is through knowing Christ, is through being with him, being in his presence. And, uh, you know, something that's important, I think, for us to think about is what are the things that we go to that we hope are going to give us life, that give us promise of life? What are the things you say, if I was only doing that, or if I only had that, then I would feel alive, I would feel comfort, I would feel um, okay, And there are certain things that we go to, and I'll tell you, a lot of those things, you know, they could be food, they could be recreation, they could be people, um, it could be your job that, that gives you life. And let me tell you, God's given you all those things. God wants you to have all those things. Those are all good things. And actually, they're things that are supposed to lead us to God as we, as we uh, receive comfort from people and from uh, you know, our homes and our possessions and from, uh, from jobs and uh, hobbies or recreation, whatever it is. The comfort that we receive, God wants us to have those comfort, But those, that comfort's supposed to lead us to God. And the other thing is that any one of those things could be taken from you at any time. And most of us will have them taken from us at some time in our life. And they're not a a life that endures, and they don't even endure death. But this knowing Christ, intimacy with God, beholding him, being comforted by him is something that not even death can take away from us. And ultimately, it is the only thing that can satisfy you. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, often talked about how we have this inconsolable longing inside each one of us. This restlessness that can never be, never be satisfied by jobs, by people, by money, um, by uh, sex, by food, by whatever it is. It can never be satisfied because it can only be satisfied by him. And so whether you're not a Christian and you're wondering what is Christianity about, or whether you've been a Christian your whole life, don't forget this is what the whole gospel is leading us to that we might know him. And he wants us to know him. He wants to know us. He wants to be with us. That's the amazing surprise of the gospel is that the whole point of all this is that God actually wants to be with us. I will be your God and you will be my people is the continued refrain throughout the Bible. So let me encourage you. Um, There's no technique for for intimacy, but when you see God's love for you is free, that's what it's going to look like when you embrace that is you're going to be with him. Have you beheld him? Have you been with him? Uh, That's John's invitation, and that's John's invitation in this book as we look through it over the next couple months. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you want to be with us. And we confess that we often uh, turn away. Uh, We think that we will not find life if we're with you. We will not be satisfied if we are with you. We pray that you would dispel these lies and that you would give us the courage to turn to you, to behold your face and to believe the gospel. We thank you for your love and uh, would the message of the gospel sink into our hearts that it would draw us near to you, that we would talk to you, and that we would be close. And I pray this for all those who are here, that um, uh, even those who have maybe uh, been apart from you or turned away from you, Uh, for maybe even many years, and they think that there's a long road behind them in order to get back, I pray that you would assure them of the gospel and give them courage to turn towards you and to embrace you and to see that you are standing there and that you are pursuing them far more vigorously than they're pursuing you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.